They found the stone rolled away. In Luke's gospel, we're not told what was going through the women's minds when they saw that the stone was rolled away. Undoubtedly, it was troubling. Grave robbers in the ancient world were a regular scourge for mourners. And even though Jesus' body was laid in the tomb without any particular treasures, the fact that the women brought spices meant that any dishonor to the dead body would bring still greater grief. Something worse at first seemed to be the case. The body was entirely gone. This detail of the stone is one that's recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, There are very few details like this that appear in all four, but the stone was rolled away. The women didn't do it. There was nobody else there. And the fact also that Mary Magdalene was one of the women first at the tomb is reported in all four Gospels, attested by each evangelist. Now, we can think of this in merely functional terms. Uh, There has to be some explanation for how the women get into the tomb to see that the body's not there, and the assumption is the women wouldn't be strong enough to roll this huge stone away. But it is a detail that also recalls an important and archetypal Old Testament story, the betrothal of Jacob, that is Israel, to Rachel. If I can recall the story for you, Jacob is on the run from his brother Esau. He's stolen his birthright and his blessing. And he goes to Abraham's ancestral home and meets up with some shepherds on the way there. And while they are introducing each other and making some small talk about shepherding problems, Rachel appears and Jacob is smitten with love for her. And like a mighty champion, he picks up the stone on the top of the well and throws it off. Uh, This is to show his manliness before this woman. And he waters the sheep all by himself. Now, you might know that betrothal stories in the Old Testament frequently take place at wells. In fact, there are hardly any betrothal stories that don't take place at wells. And it's the case we don't often use wells today, so the symbolism is a bit obscure for us. And even less frequently do we dig for them. I actually participated in a digging of a well once upon a time. We had to blast through 200 feet of rock. Um, This was a friend of ours who wanted to open up a spring on her property to have a, a nice pond and build stations of the cross in a circle around it. And uh, it was a very dry part of Wisconsin, so we had to pound really hard into this rock to get the water to flow. It was very mysterious, you know. We're used to having fancy water filtration systems and delivery systems, so we just turn on a tap and there's the water. Nothing fancy about it at all. Uh, Only when it doesn't work do we notice that this is mysterious, right? Wells, though... Uh, were very important in the ancient world. If you didn't have a well, you didn't have a place to live. You either lived by a river or the ocean or you had a well because you need water. And so if you're going to stake out new ground, you, you have to find where the well is going to be. And here's the thing. There's water flowing underground all over the place, hidden, invisible. There's this mysterious current, streams going on. And until you tap into it, you don't know where it is. And then suddenly it springs to life and water comes up. It's fresh, it's cold, it's pure, it's drinkable. 
it's amazing. It's an amazing thing that we just miss out on because we have our modern uh, plumbing systems. Now, you'll remember we were told that when Jesus' side was opened by a spear, not only blood, but water flowed out. It's as if he was that rock that needed to be tapped so the spring could come forth, as if from a secret font, as if from a rock struck by the staff of Moses. And furthermore, in John's Gospel, Jesus earlier on made a prediction. He promised that anyone who partook of the living water that he would give, he would open in them a hidden spring that would well up to eternal life. So anyone who, who received water from Christ would have an internal regenerative spring that would be leading to eternal life. And let's not forget who he told this to. It was the Samaritan woman at a well. So these women, the women at the tomb now, like Rachel, like the Samaritan woman, like the daughters of Moses' father-in-law, Moses was betrothed at a well, the women in the gospel tonight come to the tomb as the women of old came to wells in the sense that they didn't know their destiny. You know, when Rachel goes out to the well, she doesn't know she's going to meet her husband there, that her whole destiny has been set at this mysterious meeting. So these women go to the tomb. They don't know what's going to happen. They think they're going to stand around and look for somebody to move the stone away so they can prepare the body of Jesus and balm it. And, and everything goes haywire. There's no body at all. Then there are these two men in dazzling clothes speaking to them. So in the Old Testament stories, two women went to wells and met their future husbands. In the story of the Samaritan woman, it follows a similar setup, but with a twist now. Jesus, in some sense, is going to be not only the bridegroom, we'll discover later on the bridegroom of the church, but he's also going to be the well. He's going to be the one who's going to provide this water. He will unblock the hidden stream of grace that, that flows underneath all of creation, God's presence in everything. He's going to unlock this for us, and water, living water, is going to spring up. That for each of us, our various thirsts are thirsting after meaning in life, are thirsting after approval, are thirsting for satisfaction, for happiness. This thirst will no longer be in vain. It will be satisfied by the one thing that can satisfy us, God's grace, God's living water, God's presence and love. So the story of the empty tomb throws one more curveball at us, a final twist, that the unleashing of this stream that Jesus promised happens when the Son of Man is laid in the earth when he joins his divine nature to our human nature, not just to live with us, but to journey with us to death, to share that most intimate and frightening moment where our lives find their destiny. In just a moment, we are going to gather around a font, a spring, a well of living water, which is also a tomb, as St. Paul says to the Romans, when we were baptized, we're not only baptized into Christ's life, but into his death. 
So the baptismal font is a well and a tomb, and as we stand around it together, we will ask God, unseal it, unseal this font, as the angel unsealed the tomb that held the body of Christ and moved this body into eternal life. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, goes on to challenge us, the baptized, to think of ourselves in a new way as being dead to sin and living for God in Christ Jesus. This is the same challenge, in a way, that the men in dazzling garments gave to the women. They asked this great question. It's, it's such a beautiful rhetorical question that Luke puts in their mouths. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's alive. Why are you in a tomb? <laughs> right? So whether we are always aware of, aware of it or not, we are seeking the living God. This is, this is that thirst in us, that desire. Every one of our desires ultimately points back to the source of our lives, God. We're always seeking the living God desiring those living waters. Frequently enough, however, uh, we are like the women coming to the tomb, mistaken about what we're seeking. We end up seeking dead things, thinking that they're going to satisfy us. So we're seeking for meaning, for love, satisfaction, everywhere, everywhere but where Christ is. He's already there, opening that spring in our hearts, welling up to true and eternal life. And as the prophet Jeremiah predicted, we too often seek to capture stagnant water for ourselves and try to hold on to it in broken cisterns rather than give ourselves over to the living waters coming from God. Living waters, life. Life is mysterious. It's unpredictable. It's chancy. Living things have an interior dynamism that resists being tamed or controlled. In the resurrection, God demonstrates for us that we have nothing to fear in choosing this life, even if it requires us to follow Christ to the tomb. We have nothing to lose, and we have everything to gain when he rolls the stone off of our hearts.